Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there, and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zerman. Hello, Kevin. That's the quietest airport I've ever heard right there. Congrats. Yeah, so you guys are going to be hearing from our lovely friends at Los Angeles International Airport, whatever it's called, LAX. I am in the corner of an abandoned terminal. I'm staring at two older gentlemen who are using this as a nap spot. I really hope I don't wake them up. I'm just going to try and be really quiet. It's about 6.15 Sunday or Saturday. And Kevin, how this worked is... I booked a later flight on purpose out of here tonight so I could do the podcast with you. And I was like, oh, well, like, I'll just do it after the game. It'll be like a abandoned arena. Uh, my dumb head didn't factor in the fact that the Los Angeles Lakers are playing in that building in 45 minutes. So there was obviously nowhere for me to go after I got done writing and everything. So I'm just uh, at the airport already talking to you about this game for a bit and go get some food. And then hopefully uh, I'm in my bed within like five hours. Looking forward to it. How are you, bud? Doing well? Yeah, um, watching a child at home. So we're we're getting this done though. We're using technology. Oh, there's there's your first reminder. I'm just going to talk through it. I I don't know if it's better for me to just mute and stop or go. I think I'm just going to keep going, and you guys are going to have to hear it. I think it adds character to the current situation and speaks to our <laughs> commitment to get this out as soon as we possibly can. Because this is actually as soon as we possibly can. Could have just done it when I got home today, but like you said, you're watching a child. You work in the morning, like even if it's tomorrow is Sunday. I knew that. Anyway, let's talk about the basketball game, shall we? The Suns won 112 to 100. They are now up a 3-1 series lead over the Clippers. Once again, there was no Kawhi Leonard. Kevin, can you tell me a little bit about the report that came out during the game? I didn't have a chance to read it during when it came to Kawhi. Basically, um, Chris Haynes reported it's a real knee injury. It's swelling, and there's still a swollen knee going on, and that's basically why he's out. And that kind of lends to more evidence that, man, if we see him during this series, it would be a super big surprise, but um, I, I think the Suns are going to dodge a huge, huge bullet here. And obviously the Paul George thing with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that's not a good thing for that team. It's unfortunate considering they've done so much to try to protect those guys. But it is what it is. If you if you aren't healthy in this time, it's going to bite you. And we, we, we'll get into the narrative crap uh, later if the Suns go deep into this playoff run, but obviously unfortunate for the Clippers. Yeah, it is. We will talk about that uh, at, at a later time, but I do want to bring up one narrative. It's interesting how this series has turned the way it is. We'll get into the game in one minute, but just to go on the Kawhi and Paul George front, as it looks like the series is pretty much wrapped up. We'll see if the Clippers perhaps put up a big fight. We thought after game four of the Western Conference Finals two years ago, that we were going to see like the Clippers after that kind of loss kind of uh, get down on themselves and kind of lose the game in Phoenix. But then Paul George went nuts and we were back in L.A. for game six. And I expect a similar kind of attitude on Tuesday. So if the Suns think that this will just be an easy chance to close out the game, they're going to be sorely mistaken. I swear she's louder now. Like ever. So- OK, there we go. She got way quieter. Um, on your point. There was so much made about the way the Suns were uh, getting their path to the finals two years ago, and that was through injuries for other players. The Lakers were going through there. LeBron was not 100% for that series. AD got injured during that series. The Nuggets series, no Jamal Murray. And then the Clippers, there was no Paul uh, Kawhi Leonard. 
Uh, we all we call that rubbish, and we called it rubbish for a while, and we stand by it being rubbish. But I'm not saying I agree with it. In fact, I'm going to say I don't agree with it for this series. I still think that if the Clippers were fully healthy with both guys, I think the Suns still would have found a way to win this series. But this is the most um, this is the most of an argument that you could make for it right now in terms of the Suns, like you said, dodging a bullet because the way that they've played in these four games, I thought that we'll get into tonight. Tonight was the best they've played so far in the series, but if you and I were handed this tape from the future, from our future selves or whoever, Marty McFly, and you're like, hey, this is the best that the Suns are going to play through four games, we would have been very concerned. Um, we, we would have been very concerned, and I don't think I'm very concerned at this point. I'm, I'm, in fact, less concerned right now than I was after game three. But with that being said, it just kind of speaks to something that I wrote about for game four, and let me know if you agree with this, Kevin. It turns out I think the Clippers were actually the legitimately worst-case matchup for them. We thought that they were the best-case matchup for them, but I think that they would have been better off playing the Warriors, the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, anyone in the first round but this team because this team does so much crap defensively. They play so freaking physical. Like, Eric Gordon is 6-1, and he is just getting into Kevin Durant over and over again. Terrence Mann weighs 200 pounds, and he's getting into Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and Kevin Durant. Like, just the physicality and their schemes defensively for what the Suns need to do this series and what they needed to do in the first round, which was make some level of progress with their flow and how it feels with Kevin Durant in the system. And they were just the worst-case matchup for that. Do you agree with that? I'm not sure I agree with that. I think Nuggets, like, we're going to find out um, if the Suns close this out and get through. Um, but I would say, yeah, Warriors, Lakers, I don't think defensively you're going to see a team that runs into the Suns that would do this much damage to them. Like, legitimately, Kevin Durant's gotten pushed around. And and the good part about that is um, he's going to get his legs if he's going to – if he hasn't gotten his legs completely. Um the Suns are being aggressive and taking advantage of that for the second game in a row, like 27 free throws to 10 from the Clippers. So that's something we didn't really expect. And they're definitely like, okay, you're going to hit us hard. You're going to um, throw your arms around and foul us. We're going to make sure we sell it. We're going to make sure we're driving into that. So when you do foul us, it's super obvious. Um, and I think that's the big takeaway for me is like, they haven't responded physically super great, but they have gotten to the foul line. And I think that does deserve a lot of credit for just being like, okay, this is going to be gunked up. We just have to take advantage of it. Yeah, that's where I agree with you as this woman reads off a lot of last names, like a lot of people <laughs> at the front desk of that flight right now. My goodness, that flight is in serious jeopardy of not being on time or whatever's going on over there. My goodness me. Um, I agree with you, and I think that's part of why I would say this is definitely not a situation where the Suns haven't been the better team. Like, they've definitively been the better team. It has just been way, way, way more difficult than we expected. And a lot of people... Um, not a lot of people, but I remember Burns and Gambo when the the clip I saw on Twitter when they got the news that Kawhi was out in Game Four, they were defiantly like, "It's over, series is over," and that's that's what Gambo and, and Burns were both saying. And while I kind of agreed with that, I think it just um, dismissed how difficult this was still going to be. And tonight's game was a, a point of that, Kevin. They would jump out to a sixteen to nine lead. It looks like they're finally going to get off to a good start. And then the Clippers end the quarter on a 21 to 7 run. The middle quarters don't really find too much uh, separation behind that. I think the third quarter is when they finally started to get some momentum. And I believe they were up 
by like six or five or four at that point. But again, they kept hanging around. Bowens Highland three, Russell Westbrook drive, Terrence Mann three, like whatever it was. They just kept hanging around and hanging around. And it took until not the Chris Paul quote unquote takeover necessarily. That's what I called it in the recap. But it, it took some level of a star possessing the game and taking it over to win it. And and hey, Kevin, the fact that they have four of those guys, and yes, I'm including DeAndre in that because we have seen that he can take over playoff games. He took over a Western Conference Finals game, the one we referenced game four. He took that over, was the best player on the floor by far. And Chris Paul was that guy. And the and the, and the reason why we're going to keep saying that they're going to win the West and the reason why I'm going to keep saying they're going to win the title is because they have those four guys and it can be any guy on any given night. And tonight it was Chris. To me, the big thing is the first three games, you kind of felt uneasy throughout. But in this one, if you take out kind of that section of the third quarter where they just got rid, they lost that strong lead. Um, and then if you get rid of the very start of the third quarter, they played pretty darn well. And that's on both ends. Second quarter, they allowed 17 points. Fourth quarter, they allowed 22. Their defense, uh, and again, I know it's like, Russell Westbrook was the Clippers' only source of offense, but their defense is clicking. When it's on, it's on. They have mental slip-ups where it's a couple minutes and a lead of seven or so just vanishes, which is a big concern, obviously. But otherwise, I think, like you said, this is their best all-around game. It looks like they put a premium on, okay, we need to swing to the second side, as Monty calls it. We need to look to do a little more when we're ISOing, even if we're not running offense, um, that Booker skip pass to Katie in the left corner, that was a tough pass and all that, but like that was the epitome of okay, they're really trying. Chris tried that, D, uh, KD hit one, um, where they're just aggressively looking to swing that defense when they're overloading one side, and that was something that we had not seen enough of at all in the first three games. And I thought that was a really positive development along with the defense, so. Um, finally signs of progress, I would say. And again, like that was kind of a gut out game, but you could see the talent level just was going to overcome it in the whole second half. Basically, you, once they kind of recovered from that bad, bad start of the third quarter, you kind of felt like, okay, the Suns are back in and they clicked back in, they're fine. And then Chris closes it out. So I, I think this is the first game of this series where I feel like they made progress, which is seems late, but hey. 3-1 lead. Um, if they get another game of progress, that'll be a good start to go into the next series. We're, we're going to talk about it, but I said uh, we're going to talk about this later once the series is official because it's what we're all uh, assuming is going to be the second round matchup. But I, I used worst case scenario there earlier. You could view this as the best case scenario because the Suns playing this level of, a, of not only a defense, but a physical defense. And then they're going to play the Nuggets, who are a fine defensive team. They are an average defensive team. They are not a physical defensive team. Uh, by any means compared to the Clippers, at least like it's, I don't think there's a gap there. Now Denver's going to watch this and know that they have to be physical, but I think it's, it's a one thing to know it and, and, and want to see it and then get it again. Did he say Colin Kaepernick? I swear he said Colin Kaepernick. Sorry. I keep, I keep interacting with him because I just want to stall right now instead of actually say things. But I, I think that Kevin Durant has overcome that really well. He said he had a good quote to me when I asked about it, where he said he's been dealing with this since he was eight years old, like people looking at him with his stature and trying to get into him physically and overpower him with strength and push him around. This is the third game in four Kevin, where he has had double digit free throw makes not even attempts, but just also makes 
makes. He had 31 points, 11 rebounds, and six assists. And Kevin, it felt like he was fine again. <laughs> like, he yeah. was pretty good. It was his best game of the series, but he was still, like, pretty good. And it just speaks to, like, the ceiling that he has and the ceiling that his team has is, like, once they actually get, like, that playoff Slim Reaper that we we're coming to expect. We saw, I think, a smidge of it the third quarter of this game and then game one, there was the second quarter where he scored 17. Those are like the two moments where we've really seen him come out of his shell. I thought that um, the final form Devin Booker that I wrote about and talked about after game three came out in that third quarter as well. So you combine that with that, those two guys with that plus Chris at the end and then plus Deandre at the beginning four offensive rebounds in the first five minutes. I thought you, you finally saw, I don't know if it was, synchronized as, as a team kevin i don't know if you agree yeah. with that or not like it was better for sure but didn't feel fully sy- synchronized still but the fact that all four guys were able to impact the game in a big way at certain stretches of it was important and that was the first time that this has happened in the series and that's what i wrote about coming into the game is that at least one of these guys needs to step up for them to win the series even if those guys are hurt if two of them step up they'll be pretty comfortable if three of them are stepping up, which is what happened here. All four guys stepped up in some way, then they're going to win it in five. And and that's the direction we're headed right now. And also they kind of stuck with the same bench unit. Um, Shama got five minutes, but other than that, it's Kogi, Biombo, Damian Lee. Um, And that was 25 minutes for a Kogi. Biombo got 12, Damian Lee got 14. So not great still. KD hit 45 minutes, but I mean, he kind of laughed off the minutes question I saw after the game. Says he's fine. Book had 41. CP got under 40. 38 still a lot for him, but he looked pretty good down the stretch. So um, I, I think overall, considering especially how close in just hours it was from the last game, a good sign for them. And they're kind of finding traction and a rotation and continuity. And yeah, I mean... At the end of the day, this was Clippers couldn't find enough. Russell had 37. He looked really good still. Um, but you you limit Pal to not 42 points. He had 14. Um, same thing goes with the rest of the guys. What, Terrence Mann had 13 and that was it. Eric Gordon had 10. And, you know, that, that kind of tells the story of why the Clippers lost by double digits. But, again, tough, tough um, fight to get to 112 for the Suns. And I think... Even with um, some of the matchups in the Nuggets series, like when they probably will advance, um, it's going to be a good sign that your offense can do that. 49% shooting, 41% from three, and again, free throw line advantage. They're really focused on that, and I think that's, again, where if you're a mid-range shooting team, that's the criticism all. Pretty much all the regular season that we gave them is like, they just didn't find ways to draw fouls. And so if you're not fouling the Suns, it's a question of how how high that shooting percentage in the mid-range is going to get. So you kind of have to pick your poison now. Guess who is leading the NBA right now in free throws per game at the postseason, Kevin? Guess who it is? Kevin Durant. Uh, the team, it, it is your Phoenix Suns. Uh, 30 free throws per game, so they're at 120 on the dot through uh, four games. That leads every other team. And, in fact, the Kings have 28 behind them, and then no one even has 25. So it's been a lighter whistle sort of across the league right now because the physicality certainly isn't down in any of these games, and that's something J.J. Redick ranted about with the Lakers-Warriors – or, sorry, the Warriors-Kings uh, uh, matchup specifically now – what the Kings were able to get away with in that series or have been able to get away with in that series so far. But yeah, again, if you would have told me at any point they would lead 
the NBA in free throw attempts, I would have laughed. I would have laughed to you, uh, laughed to you in the face. But they they've done a really really good job of not only embracing the physicality but figuring out a way to take advantage of it. Those are two different things. All right, a couple more breaks before we go. I'll add context to the minutes thing uh, in the story. I had the minute totals for all three guys: Booker forty three, forty five, forty five, forty one. Durant, 45, 44, 42, 45, and then Chris Paul, 39, 38, 41, 38. It's alarming. It's not great. But Monty said that they are concerned about it and that he hinted at this, and then Chris Paul just flat out said it. He wasn't even in the room when Monty said it. It was just kind of unprompted. Monty hinted at how their sports science data, their tracking stuff, all that super uh, high-tech analytical stuff that tracks the way guys move around the floor like keeps an eye on that stuff and he receives those kinds of reports and knows which guys are doing less in, in their kind of minutes. Cause you know, those like five minutes stretches we watch Chris where it feels like he's doing nothing on, on the floor basically, except defending. like he's not really doing anything on the ball. And then Chris mentioned that himself. Like you actually, he said, you act, you got to actually watch the game. There may be a four minute, five minute stretch where we just sort of occupying while book going to work. It's not just everybody. Oh, how many minutes did they play? It's how were the minutes used? And I think that's where we communicate and we talk and we'd be like, yo, how you feel, how you feel. We pros, so we just try to figure it out. And then Monty mentioned that today specifically was a day where it was more okay to do uh, because they have the extra day off now. Um, and then when Katie, of course, was asked like if he can handle it, he asked how do he look tonight back to Ramona Shelburne, which, fair, uh, that's what you would more or less expect for him to say. Uh, but it still is concerning i think the the best possible scenario for them kevin that they can hope for is that not only do they win on tuesday but then they don't play until like sunday um yeah i I would guess it's not until saturday maybe it's not until monday game one but if that's the case then that's some much needed rest but at the same time let's not act like that rest all of a sudden takes all takes away you know what i mean like like diminishes diminishes the, the minutes the the wear down that the minutes had like it doesn't just it's not like they all go back to like a hundred percent on their like a uh, fatigue not fatigue meter but their stamina meters like you know it, it, it's going to go there uh the bench kevin uh josh kogi played 25 minutes i looked and i think that no one on the bench like in one game played josh played 17 minutes in the first half or no 14 minutes in the first half i believe it was either 14 or 17 and there was a game, I believe it was game two, where no one even had played that off the bench in the entire game. So I think it was important to see at least one player earn that kind of trust from money. I think that Damian Lee has surpassed Shamit as that guy. They found their, their they found their other guard while they're waiting for campaign to get back. Shamit got out there for five minutes in the first half, got the nod again, uh, did not look good. And then Lee comes in and he looks good. Biombo's been solid in those minutes. And again, back to what we've talked about, just with the bench looking solid in those. And, and they've got like eight guys now, which is good. And then they're going to have nine when campaign's back. And all of a sudden you've got nine guys. It'll change a bit with the matchup with Denver, but uh, we'll see kind of how it goes. Uh, do you want to talk about Russ? Yeah. I mean, you can go on the more of the quote situation, but again, I, I, I don't know how much I have to add from what we've said, even going into this series, but man, um, 40 minutes, 37 points, four assists, again, four turnovers, seven of 17 of 29 from the field. Efficient. Yeah. He was efficient. I mean, dude is again, works his tail off. You might not like how he goes about it, but if you put him in a role where you let him be himself, he's dangerous. And especially the three point shots, he hit three, and I felt like all three of them were super at important moments when they were just trying to hang around and keep it within reach. And 
I don't know, man. Um, just KD and CP3, I I don't know if I'm overplaying this, but it was circulating around what they said post game because usually you're in the heart of a playoff series, you go up 3-1, and you don't go out of your way to praise the one of the opposing players to that degree. But um, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it looked like Chris wasn't even asked the question about Russ, and he jumped in there after Katie answered. It was it was both guys at the podium, but it was this weird thing where Chris joined like midway through, so it was pretty much Kevin's presser still going on, and then Chris's was going to happen in the second half, basically. But he like yeah he he jumped in, he felt the need to say something. Um, I I what I'll say is that they're gonna they're gonna take any opportunity like that, especially with someone that they have a connection with. Chris has said multiple times in the last two weeks that like he's close, he's friends with Russ, and then obviously Durant has a long history with Russ where he has at the very least a ton of respect for him at the very least. And then of course they were really good friends at one point. Um, Yeah. Everything that they were saying. And if you didn't see like the quotes or whatever, it was just Kevin was right in saying that once Russ retires, people are going to talk about his game differently, much like how remember when the NBA 75 thing happened and Dwight didn't make it. I I think Dwight didn't make it just because he was viewed as a joke for the last couple of years of his career. And that was like the reputation that he had had in that tail end of his stretch. But when we're talking about Dwight in like five years, we're not going to be talking about, Houston and like everything that went wrong, we're going to be talking about like one of those dominant centers ever. And that's the same thing that goes for Russ is like in five years when his career's over, it's not going to be all this talk about like, is he actually good? Is he actually impactful? Is he actually do his triple doubles mean anything? Is his MVP tainted because of his stat padding and Steven Adams basically boxing out for him instead of grabbing the ball and like all that nonsense. And Kevin made a really good point of like, once he's retired, people will actually like tell us how they feel about him because they're just, trying to treat him like a joke. And then Chris just said again, like if you actually watch the game to your point on like the energy and just what he does. Um, but this is where someone in my position, Kevin could be like, look, I was right. I called him the X factor of the series. And here he is just being the biggest X factor of all time. But I didn't see this coming at all. To be honest, I part of what I was writing about was the fact that you've got a guy who was a former MVP who, who used to be one of the best players in the world. So he could certainly still channel that at some point. And that's kind of what I was getting at. But it was just more about how as a playmaker and a downhill driver, they had no one like this in 2021 and they had no one like him this season. And having that on their team was going to make a difference in this series. And we're just seeing it because Kevin, no one could guard him. Like, I, I don't know how a Kogi, again, defense was harder for me to watch where I was from, but he was going through everyone. Like, Books played really, really, really good defense in this series, and he was just going through him. He was going through everyone to get to the basket. Like, it was very impressive to see that he's still at this age, at this point. Because I remember you and I were talking about it going into the series, and I included the clips. And, like, if you let him get a driving lane, it's over. Like, I wrote yeah. that. And it was surprising to write that and like feel that. But after watching a lot of his Clipper stuff, I was like, Oh yeah, like that gear's still there. And we've seen it in this game in the series. But then we've also seen that like, Oh yeah. If he's engaged defensively and like really trying everywhere, like with his recoveries from the backside, the whole thing, like he can be completely disruptive and an excellent defender as well. And he's just been magnificent. Like I think without a doubt, he's been one of the top two players in this series. And it's just been, it's been really cool to see. Like I'm, I'm very happy that, as someone like I talked about earlier, who I've been a fan of for a long time and how he plays, it's really cool that I got to see this moment in his career where he's like, no, like I still got like five years left at least when everyone was ready to make China jokes after this year. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think when we look back at what we thought going into the series, like it's not about his athleticism. It was about his confidence in his role. And you see that when you give him his confidence and his role that he's played, he's 
going to do what he kind of used to do. Um, he's not falling off that much as an athlete. And I, I think, you know, that's kind of what we're seeing right now is he knows what he has to do to win or try to win this series. And he's playing awesome right now. And the shot especially is like a confident shot. Like he's not afraid of being pulled for missing a couple jumpers or a couple threes. Um, I, the, the craziest part is everyone, and this is an NBA thing more than most things, but like even the KD and him relationship thing, like I, I was walking game two through the tunnel to go find you, I think. And like he and KD were saying hi to each other, like fairly briefly, but after the game, like they're on good terms. And um, I think it's pronounced Grife, Andrew Grife with the, I think he's with the LA times Clippers writer. Um, but he like took a video of it and it just like blows up because like people just have these conceptions of what they think is, I guess. Um and that goes with his relationship to KD. That goes with what people think of him as a player. And maybe we even like made jokes about it. And yeah, he didn't play well at the Lakers. But again, if you just look at the tape, man, he's still all there. And um, it, it's kind of too bad that he's the only one there and the only one healthy enough to be there out of their stars. One more number here before we go uh, to look at game five here. I think it's really important that the Clippers were able to get to uh, 26 assists without Kawhi uh, in game three. Now that Kevin, that was accompanied by 18 turnovers, a lot of which were live on a lot of which were bad. And they had a lot of those again tonight or today. Um, But I thought that it was really important that the Suns got that number back down to 19. They only had 19 assists today. The high man with assists was Westbrook and Terrence Bain with four. Like it wasn't even that Russ did everything. It was just they had general ball movement, but it wasn't good enough. And the shots weren't good enough and all that kind of stuff because they had 23 assists and 17 in the previous two games. So it looked like not like Kawhi Ewing theory or anything, but like their ball movement was still pretty good without Kawhi. But for the Suns to stifle it a bit with the defense that you were talking about in this game was good. I'm going to have to watch back and see how much of the points in the paint were an issue or how much the drives were an issue or it was just Westbrook being insane because that was a spot, something I spotlighted in the preview for this game. And then they got in the paint a lot. At least Westbrook did. The generating threes wasn't so great, but that's that's also fine at the end of the day. Anything else? No, I think we've covered it. Um, Tuesday, right? Tuesday, yeah. I'm going to get on my plane here in like two hours and – Go. It looks like this JetBlue gate is going to become activated again, so this is perfect timing for me to get out of this weird corner of the airport. What should All I get right. for a snack? What should I get for an airport snack? Do you have any recommendations for something that travels well in the air? Uh, no, I don't know. Dale Starbucks muffin. I don't know. No, don't listen to me. Yeah, that was bad advice. Uh, I've written, <laughs> I, I've, I've tweeted this before. No matter what time it is in the airport, you can never judge anyone for what they're getting. Like if someone gets a diet root beer in a Milky Way at 6 a.m., like you can't judge them. So, no, like they're gonna, going through it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to do that wherever I go get food right now. All right, buddy. Thanks for making this happen. I know you got the kid next to you. We will talk again after the game on Tuesday, perhaps maybe looking ahead to Denver. Sounds good. See ya.